just out of curiosity on the first day of class one day I asked my students if you could never come back to class, not do a single reading or assignment, and I would give you an A at the end of the semester, how many of you would accept that offer? And every single student raised their hand, and it broke my heart. (laughs) They were so much more invested in the grade than in anything else. Welcome to Teach, Talk, Listen, Learn, a podcast featuring conversations all about teaching and learning from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. I'm Bob Dignan, and in every episode, I'll be joined by colleagues, faculty, and instructors from across our campus to talk teaching. Today, it's all about grades, or lack of them, to be more precise. Joining the conversation is... Hello, uh, my name is Billy Huff. I am a lecturer in the Department of Communication. Hello, I'm Kati Zarati. I'm a specialized teaching faculty in the Department of Special Education. And hello, I'm uh, Jim Wentworth. I'm an associate director at the Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning. I uh, oversee some of the faculty development programs. Hope you're energized and enriched by this conversation. And as Kati puts it later in the episode, recapture the joy of teaching. So I think we're talking about assessment in higher education and how we think about progress for our students. And there's lots of different ways to do it. And traditionally, we've been doing it with a system of grading, letter grades, A, B, C, D, Mm. and sometimes Fs. (laughs) Um, But lately, there's been a lot of change. And there's been standards-based grading, uh, a term called ungrading. And so there's some development and movement forward on better practices for Mm. assessing our students. Mm. Would that be how you're kind of thinking about it, Billy? Yes, I use the term ungrading. Um, I started learning about different kinds of assessment through Jesse Stommel, who is a critical educator, and that's the term he uses. So I started using that term and I've just stuck with it. Gotcha. Um, And so this is a different mindset than no grades, because, I mean, you could hear some of this and think, okay, I guess there's not going to be any grades. It's just pass fail. Or is that wrapped up into this too? Or I think it's wrapped up into this. Okay. And so I think traditionally people that do ungrade try to go completely gradeless. However, with the institutions that we work in, we still need to provide some grades, which is uh-huh. actually where I struggled. So this semester, I'm actually calling it universally designed grading. Mm. And I think the term grading can sometimes have a bad rap. Um, but I, I don't think the word grading is necessarily terrible. <laughs> I think there is some value in providing some letter grades sometimes. Um, and so... I think that's what this conversation will cover. Yeah, so uh, Jim brought both of you to the table because he learned of how each of you are attempting these in your courses and in your disciplines. So uh, what what kind of stood out to you in, in learning about this topic, and what yeah. did you want to kind of cover in terms of uh, all the nitty-gritty? Yeah, I, I think I'm mainly interested to hear kind of what are the motivations? What made you move in this direction, and, and what are the benefits you're seeing for your students um, in, in kind of altering your grading practices? Did you not like grades growing up? Or? No. <laughs> I loved them. Oh, I, I oh, really? did not. <laughs> oh, okay, great, perfect. <laughs> um, so I had been thinking about moving away from grades for a while, There was a few years ago, um, just out of curiosity, on the first day of class, one day I asked my students if you could never come back to class, not do a single reading or assignment, not a single discussion, and I would give you an A at the end of the semester, how many of you would accept that offer? And every single student raised their hand, and it broke my heart Mm. (laughs) Um, because they were so much more invested in the grade than in anything else. Like a cash Um, cash exchange. Learning was irrelevant to them. Um, And uh, I wanted to think of ways that I could prioritize 
learning over grades. Um, and then when we were hit with COVID and we moved online and um, it just seemed like the right time to try moving away from grades completely. Um, one of the motivations was to port, support students' mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a, a, an issue that's going to continue even past if we ever get through COVID. <laughs> um, that that, that is, is still going to be a thing. Um, but also, um, my classes are, are geared towards social justice. And one thing that I always didn't like about grades was the ways that I felt like when I was grading, I was always in some level grading privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, we know that that marginalized students are systemically oppressed and um, marginalized, and so uh, I wanted to find a way of of learning that was more equitable in my classes. Yeah, what, what, what's your kind of take on some of that? Do you do you see yourself in some of that, or? Oh, absolutely. I think there are so many barriers to learning, and having a special education background, um, that's actually where I started thinking about it. Was when I had my own classroom of s- small children. Um, many of my students needed a curriculum that was very different from the standard curriculum, mm. and I still had to provide students grades, even though my students had limited verbal skills, you know, significantly challenging behaviors. I was like, what does an A mean to them? What does an mm. A even mean to their parents? And so I really started questioning those practices when I was an elementary school teacher. And then when I adjuncted, I worked in um, an assessment clinic, and we did a lot of writing. And writing only gets better if you get feedback on it. So my my process was really about, I want to be providing constant feedback and having students try and try again, because that Mm. learning is all about practicing. Mm. Um, But so many students, and this was in Chicago, so many of my students then came in with marginalized backgrounds. So they didn't have the writing skills that might have um, been present for other students. And so they were not performing as well with letter grades. It's like, this isn't fair. They're they're working just as hard. (laughs) They're they're trying their absolute best, but it's not showing up on paper. And how can we how can we level that playing field? Or not necessarily level it, but just make it more accessible for everybody. Um, Is it is it that concept of effort grades? I had a little bit of that in my K through twelve or uh, is is that kind of some of what you're hitting on is like how to incorporate that in in the schema or yeah, I think effort is part of it. I do want to see, and we do need to see that students have skills. So it, it's mm. this more of this whole person approach of, yes, I see that you're trying things, and maybe something happened in your life this past week, two weeks, that you couldn't get something in on time. And so I need to have a little bit more compassion because I still want you to get that feedback. I still want you to practice, um, but I don't want you to be penalized for somebody being in the hospital, for you needing a mental health break, for for anything that happens to us in life. I think so much, we, we put so much on timelines and these these um, turn-in points that are arbitrary. I've, there's been a lot of times in my professional life that I've been like, I need a little more time. It's not ready yet. I want to provide my best to you. But I can't because I have this arbitrary timeline that's happening in school. I, I remember making that case with the faculty way back when in grad school that 16 weeks was an arbitrary number of weeks to produce what they were asking me per, to mm-hmm. produce. And and he he bought it. He realized, oh, you're right, that this kind of project would take a lot longer than 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so judging you on your ability to complete that in this time frame isn't fair, mm-hmm. but did you progress? And mm-hmm. so that, that focus on progress and growth, I think, is what I'm hearing is, is of interest to you. Mm-hmm. 
So what all have you tried so far in your instruction and what's resonating, what's working or what even what's not working? Can you can you dispel some myths of you think it might go well and ooh, uh, that was that was tr tricky or it was tricky for two semesters and then it started clicking. I don't know. For me, one of the first hard lessons that I learned when I started and the first time that I did it, the first semester I tried it, there were, were absolutely no grades. I got rid of assignments. I had engagement opportunities, so I came up with a lot of different ways that students could engage. Um, and so it could look very different for all of them, depending on what their, mm. their interests and desires were. No tracking on whether um, they engaged with them, just they're out there and... I trusted in them. Mm. They, they indicated the level at which they, they engaged with things mm -hmm. and, and tried trusting students, which is, is lovely. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the biggest challenge that I found was that students are so used to being motivated by grades that they don't actually know how to find intrinsic motivation to engage in classes. Mm. It's not something that, and, and I realized after the first time I did it that I need to actually model for them how to do that because <laughs> they don't know. Mm. And where I thought, oh, this is gonna be great. They're gonna be able to have fun with learning and they don't, they don't know how to do that. Mm. So It's not um, natural. Yeah, or it's maybe been beaten out of them or uh, yeah. in some respect or another. I had one student explained it like a, a dog that you throw a, a ball over a, a fence and the ball being the grade. And regardless of if you get a million other toys, the dog is going to be fixated on that ball that it can't get to. And mm. So I thought that was a good, a good analogy for um, they're so used to fixating on that grade that they don't know how to not do that. Yeah. I found that, so I found that more um, with my undergrads. They really struggled with not having a letter grade. I also tried getting rid of grades completely last semester. And what ended up happening was I had a lot of, it actually induced anxiety in some of my students. I was going to say, you're trying to, like, I'm trying to do something good for you. And they're all like, oh, it feels like you're, you're putting a knife in my back. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, so geez. it ended up becoming a barrier. And if my whole philosophy is about dismantling barriers to learning, I don't want not having a grade to sure. be a barrier. Sure. So I ended up giving uh grades mid-semester and then right, ones right before finals. So I'm actually just going to incorporate that this semester. There's going to be grade checkpoints where you will get a letter grade at set times, three three times in the semester. And I incorporate conferencing, a lot of peer assessment and um, self-assessment, but also mm -hmm. assessment from me via rubrics. Some mm -hmm. assignments have rubrics, some assignments don't, and they know all of the expectations in the beginning of the semester. They have every rubric in the beginning of the semester. They know when they're, um, I, I call them feedback windows, because what I also found was trying to give this iterative feedback I got lost in the paperwork and so I was trying to track students progress and as you can imagine for 150 students that's a lot of tracking and so I was constantly going back because I'd have a couple students who wanted to provide more uh, wanted to resubmit an assignment and I was going back weeks and weeks and weeks so this semester I'm gonna say these are your feedback cutoffs you have X amount of weeks to get these sets of assignments in and once that's done I need to move on with my, my assessment so you'll get feedback up until this checkpoint mm -hmm. and those coincide with when they'll also get letter grades so yeah I'd be interested to hear more about the uh, the conversations you end up having with students mm -hmm. um, as, as you're kind of discussing their progress and their grades and and the feedback this this the importance of the feedback so what, what does that look like in when you're talking to your students mm -hmm. um, so I've started explaining to them ungrading in, in great detail at the beginning of the semester um, and I use the metaphor of 
clothing stores and that a lot of classes are like uniform stores where your 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 um, uniforms are one size fits all. So mm-hmm. you just go and you pick up your uniform and you wear it for the duration of the class and then you probably throw it away at the end. Um, and uh, I want them to think of our class as like the most fabulous thrift store that there ever was. And they <laughs> can go in and I hope that they pick out the things they like and I hope that they sometimes pick out things they don't like um, and try on as many and when, clothes or ideas, as many of the ideas. How do they look on you? How do they feel in your body? How do you move with them? What can you do with them in your world? And um, at the end of the semester, I hope that some of them leave with at least a couple new outfits, maybe a whole new wardrobe. (laughs) If they decide to put everything back and come back out the way they came in, that's fine too. Mm. Um, It's that's, that's for them to decide. But uh, I tell them the only way they can be unsuccessful is if they just don't try anything on at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, I think they get that. In, in a way, and, and that has worked. Um, one thing that I decided to do since I'm not grading them anymore, which has been fabulous, is I just participate in all of the engagement opportunities with them. Excellent. So I make the discussion posts, and I do the, um, so in my gender class, they have to do a um, tell their gendered story in a comic book form, so I make one with them, and I submit it with them, and they can all look at mine and comment on mine, and so... Um, I just participate as a, a student would in the class with them. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it seems like it's uh, opting less for the what sage on the stage and more for like the guide on the side type yeah. of approach where you're still available to be seen as an expert, but you're not lording it over them all the time. Like yeah. you're, you're going to hear from me and if you give me the wrong answer, then there's going to be consequences. Yeah. And this also affords an opportunity to focus primarily on what they do right Mm -hmm. and I I don't know that this works for every class and I'm sure it doesn't Mm -hmm. Um, but the particular classes I teach don't really have right and wrong answers Mm -hmm. Um, and they're things that I want them to grapple with and so um, it's I think my the classes that I teach lend themselves well to this kinds of assessment Um, I can give them assessments that that are not quantifiable mm-hmm. so um you know they they have an option to do a final project where they can do whatever they want just figure out a way to demonstrate that you learned something in this class and i've had some really amazing amazing things that i would never be able to put a, a number on or quantify I, I never would have thought about it like that that uh relieving yourself from the grading kind of mechanisms allows you to ask of and engage your students in ways that previously you'd be like, oh, I can't do that because how am I going to grade it? Great. Oh. I, I was just going to say, what Billy's describing, it sounds like the power dynamic changes enough so you're having a relationship with your students where they're not afraid of you being that authority that's going to give them a grade, but they see you as a learner in this community working with them, and it seems like that's really valuable change. Certainly what I'm going for. Yeah. I don't know how, <laughs> if it happens all the time, but. <laughs> yeah. I think with what you said was interesting. I really like the analogy, but it may not work in entirety for every class, but I think every class can take elements of this, right? Mm-hmm. I think every class, especially with that power dynamic, giving students the ability to assess themselves yes. gives them trust, gives them a little bit more power. Having them collaborate for assessment where they're peer assessing and learning how to do that in a safe environment um, shifts the dynamics of power. And I think Although some uh, courses are very test-based and those kinds of things, I think you can still provide elements of that power shift through some universal divine, uh, design principles. What types of conversations do you have to, do you, uh, that you're helping students through this? So we talk a lot about, and I don't know if it's just 
education um, in the department, we talk a lot about evidence. What is the evidence for your learning? I, let's have a conversation about here's what, how I've seen you progress. Tell me how you think you've progressed. And let's talk about where we need to go or if we're there or if we can even extend our learning. Because some of our students are going to go way beyond what we think they can learn. And we need to continue to provide them the material and content so that they can further their learning. We don't want to we don't want to stop them where they're at, all right? Yeah. And other students might need a little bit more guidance, a little bit more scaffolding. So, let's talk about where you want to go, what your goals are, and then the evidence to get us there. Mm -hmm. And so, how do you demonstrate that? And the demonstrating can be anything, right? I think that's where the fun comes in. Like Billy was saying, you can demonstrate knowledge in so many ways that are not number-based. Mm -hmm. um, different projects coming into the VR lab, just providing them opportunities, and, and a lot of times they don't know how they can show their knowledge. <laughs> so being a participant and, and demonstrating and, and saying, yeah, like we have these opportunities and showing them some things and then saying, mm, show me other ways. Let's be creative here. Mm -hmm. Really breaking the mold. Yeah. Mm. And, and do you find these practices get students to be more self-reflective of their own learning? You know, right now the big emphasis is on, am I doing good enough to get the grade I want? Are you able to switch that dynamic and get them focused on their pro progress in the course? Mm. I think that's hard in, in in a whole way because we end up having to give letter, letter grades. I mean, do you still give a letter grade at the end of the semester? Uh, well, yeah, we have yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> right. they, so. I just would they tell me what they what grade to put in for them, and mm. I do it. And giving up my control of that process was not easy for my mm. for me either. Yes. When when you know. It rarely happens that a student that didn't really engage very much gives themselves an A plus, <laughs> and and it it I'm I don't know I'm like still bothersome. kind of painful. I think that for me the the biggest challenge um, in my thinking is that I was trained as a teacher that rigor equals difficulty, mm -hmm. hmm. and that that is measured through quantitative measures. <laughs> And so thinking about rigor in new ways is, is kind of my own learning project that I'm engaged in right now. I'm, I'm not fully there yet <laughs> where Billy's at. I, if, if I have a student who I feel like hasn't demonstrated evidence of their progress and we've had a conversation about it and we've talked about the standard that they I think they need to be at and, and especially for licensure programs, I really struggle with then saying you, you're earning an A because you've said you've earned an A. So mm -hmm. for me, it really is about that conversation and saying, here's where I need you to be. Here's the evidence I have. Can you demonstrate the evidence you have? And let's talk about why I am going to give you a C. <laughs> so I'm not quite there yet. I don't know if I ever will be. I'd like to think maybe one day, but I, I still do struggle with some of that that power stuff, to be honest. Right, right. <laughs> a lot of our conversation has been focused on how do you help the students get up to some of these thinkings, but you're bringing up here, how do you then talk to the other bodies that are above the licensure or the institution and accreditation to be able to, you're, you're in the middle, you're interfacing between these and you're saying my students need and the world is changing too, but the older systems are, are less flexible and, and yeah. slower to change. Right, and I think if we want to make bigger change, I think we have to start slowly, unfortunately. I wish we could just dive into some of these things, but um, 
it's a big, big system. Higher education yeah. is, is, is dated in a lot of our practices. Um, but I think we can slowly make these changes uh, and by doing things like this, this podcast, getting the word out, sure. saying try some of this stuff. And I think some of the fear might go away if we give people ways to, to try and start small. I, I think, Bill, you mentioned that you have had these discussions with your department head and within your department, and you're not getting that much pushback. Tell us just a little bit about that. No, I've had unconditional support, and I think that a lot of it also depends on your contingency. I'm a lecturer, so I'm, I'm fairly contingent. I'm not sure that if I didn't have such amazing support from my department, I would be doing this at all. Um, mm, that's a huge factor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The external pressures are still there to follow all of the standard grading processes, but and so it does feel like it's a little bit of a, a dangerous um, road to head down. Which is why I've, I've decided to do the three grade checkpoints throughout the semester as sort of a bridge for mm. the institution and for what my ethos are. If I can post grades, if I can say these are the evidence factors that I'm looking for, um, we can kind of bridge the two systems in a way that might be more flexible for everybody. I yeah. Don't know. yeah. And we've acknowledged throughout that there might be a discipline uh, uh, practice and standards that are uh, evolving to where I'm also thinking about um, you have the student front of mind and you don't want to throw the student into the deep end, giving them straight A's through their whole program because that's what they said. And then they think, oh, now that means I can apply to a grad school program somewhere else that doesn't believe in any of this. And they are drowning. Yeah. And they are they are horrified now because of their experience. And, uh, you know, what role did you play in, in enabling? that I think that's a also and and that was something that I thought of with Jim's question of self-reflection do you ever hear from students after they've left these environments and they they've been without it maybe for a little bit and they come back did they ever talk to you about like oh, I missed that time or I, now I'm now I'm like really appreciative of what you were doing do you ever get any converts in a sense because I'm kind of thinking of this as a, like an oasis. They come to your class and they experience some of this more fresh-minded, but then they don't experience it again. And it's like, you know, that was great for them, but it's like, it's just so one-off. I don't know. Yeah. Um, my students do a lot of reflection during the semester, so I don't do like grade checks, but they do do a reflection, initial reflection to kind of see where they are at the beginning before they, you know, engaged in the class. And then they do another one at midterm and that one asked them things like um how has your thinking changed since the beginning of the mm -hmm. semester and um has the content that you've engaged with changed the way you think about yourself and the way you relate to others mm -hmm. at the end they reflect on how they can use what they've learned in the world beyond the classroom and mm -hmm. um and so what i care more about is seeing that kind of transformation that that can happen if they engage um and that's it's just priceless yeah. when that, when that happens and it just happens more with this ungrading oh, method than than I ever saw. It's like the focus before. can be where it needs to be. Yeah, um, uh, yeah you, you mentioned Jesse Stommel earlier. Jesse um, talks about how he's hoping that what he's doing with students by ungrading them and giving them the skills to grade themselves is that they'll carry that into other classes and have those conversations with faculty who may be less willing or comfortable with that, but they can defend their thinking a little bit more because they've become better at self-reflective thinking. They know how to articulate their progress. 
I also want to mention Jennifer Newton from Ohio. She does a lot of ungrading work, and uh, I just want to make sure that we highlight her also, sure. just, be, just because she's uh, been a big driving factor for me in, in diving into this. One other uh, topic related to all this that I wanted to make sure we hit is any advice you'd give, um, even on the practical side, how you implement it? Are there any particular things you have to hack in LMSs or other structures that you found like, okay, this really works, or this communicates my idea the best I can, given the tools that I have available to me, or I ditch those tools and I use this tool. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be just this at a, at a tool and technology level, but in that realm of advice, what, what would you say for anybody thinking to pick some of this up? Um, I learned the hard way, like I said earlier, that, that it's, students need a lot of modeling and support and how to do it. They do need to understand that there's no catch. I think a lot of them at the beginning think, what's the catch? Mm -hmm. When's the other shoe going to drop? And just having them, okay, you're saying this, but can I trust you is, you know, um, and I think that one way to establish that trust is to explain why you're doing it. Um, explain even a little history of, you know, that grades haven't always been what they are today. And mm. these are the reasons why they developed in the way that they have. And this is maybe why, what might be wrong with that. Mm. And um, so just, I don't know, letting them kind of behind the curtain to see what's what's really happening is important. Yeah, what, what a much, I'm just thinking, what a much more like intellectually stimulating syllabus day than what is typically done. It's like, we're talking about the the process of education in, in day one about how this class is, oh, that, that'd be great. Yeah, I think the trust piece here is really important and reiterating that you do trust that they know themselves enough to, to progress and talk to you about the progression of their skills and knowledge. Um, the other thing I think for starting is I keep coming back to it, but start small. Start with one, maybe it's one assignment that you ungrade in your semester and you see how it goes, or it's one assignment that you provide more open-ended uh, products for, and you you dedicate some time for feedback. I think for me, it's really, really about the, the feedback given to students and some opportunities for practicing again and again. Because really, none of us learn how to do something perfect on the first try. Mm-hmm. And so coming at it with this lens of empathy, which which Jesse talks a lot about, is just, these, are, these are practice opportunities for our students so let's give them some time to practice it and build that in over time um, and, and you know maybe you do that once one semester and then the next semester you push yourself to do it twice um, but but thinking in the beginning how can I start implementing some of this stuff that mm-hmm. is an, is comfortable for me so that if you're more comfortable you'll make your students more comfortable there's a big uh, student success initiative on campus um, I, I'm seeing a lot of what you're talking about resonating with that that broad mission but I'm also wondering what uh, what do you think our role could be or what, what would you like to say to K-12 through educators, given what you were talking about earlier, to help prepare them so, so the undergrads don't get to our doorstep and you now have to dismantle a bunch? And that's, that's a really hard question, and I'm not saying that those people are necessarily listening, so uh, feel free to take that any way you want. But that strikes me as another uh, area that is, has come up, but we haven't really heard your direct uh, kind of input on in terms of if you could be talking to those students before day one, what would you like them to know or say, or how would you like to prepare them? I would start by saying, thank goodness we live in Illinois mm. and not some other states. Mm. <laughs> We're talking about K through 12. Yeah, I, I think that that finding ways to, to, to lessen the pressure on students to 
define success in terms of grades and more in terms of learning and transformation would be ideal. Um, but I know that there's so many bureaucratic kinds of stresses on K through 12 teachers in terms of test grades and mm. and also even the metrics for getting into college are very yeah. much based in, in, I think we're starting to see some of the, the standardized tests go away, but. I mean, just anecdotally, uh, hopefully he doesn't mind putting him on blast, but my brother, my younger brother, all through school, no real subject clicked. Uh, poor grades, poor grades, and then art class came along, and he was getting awards, and he was killing it, mm -hmm. and then he went to school, majored in art, and is on the dean's list. And so it's like, whoa, what a, what a, what, what a system can do to like not highlight that for as long as it did or whatever. And that's kind of one piece of what I think we're talking about here is how to identify that in every student and, and help them get to, to where they could be. I think so many educators go into teaching because they love teaching, right? They love the idea of helping students grow, and we lose some of that when we get into these systems where grades are so important, when standardized tests are so important. So I think I'd say, you know, start questioning yourself and say, what what in the joy of teaching have I lost because of these systems? And how can I bring that back? And if that is giving students more power, giving students more trust, having more learning and growth conversations with our students, I think that will bring back some of that joy of teaching. And we're really struggling right now with the teacher shortage. And so if we're not finding joy in our professions anymore, then we've really got to think, okay, well, how can I modify what I'm doing in this system that I'm doing it in so that I can go back to the thing that I love the most, which is teaching kids. Mm -hmm. And if I love it, then they're going to love it. Um, and, and, and model, you know, model, give opportunities to practice for your administrators, for your students, for other teachers that you're working with. Um, I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. One thing that I kind of wanted to add to the question about advice for people that might be wanting to try this mm -hmm. is to think through the the questions that students are going to have. Um, and the probably biggest one that I get is, um, what if another student does less work than I do or less quality work than I do? And then they get the same grade at the end. Right. And you get this question from the most engaged and driven and motivated students, usually mm -hmm. like the I, w I don't want to call them the best students, but the the students that would probably get A's if you did great. Right. Productivity um, machines. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so thinking through how you're going to address those kinds of of questions. How will I know what I'm how I'm doing if I'm not given grades? Um, what if you disagree with the grade I give myself? Like those are the kinds of questions that they have. So. I think being prepared to answer those is important. I, I, yeah, I think that's a big piece, that idea that from early on in K-12, we're taught to compare ourselves against others based on those grades mm -hmm. that were given, right? And so naturally, they get here and say, well, I did better than him. How come my grade doesn't reflect that? And breaking that down to, you know, I, I always felt bad about giving the student who came into my course with knowing everything already the same A as a student who came in knowing nothing and achieved so much growth. Mm -hmm. that's, it's not the same A, it doesn't feel like mm -hmm. to me. And so that, that's where I think there's, it's got to be individualized some way. Yeah. Or my character flaw of I might actually try extremely hard, but then I'd be really self-deprecating and say, I don't think I deserve an A. And it's like, oh, gosh, you'd, you'd have to convince me. Get, come up a little bit. You tried really hard. I've definitely had to actually increase grades that really? students give themselves way more than I've felt like I 
assign someone a grade that they didn't deserve. Oh, Same, snap. and that's where I think that evidence piece comes in. It's like these are the evidences or the pieces of evidence I see for your learning, and you're only telling me you have the, the X amount, but I see Y amount, and so I actually think this is what you've earned. Can we agree on that? And that's where that conversation is really important. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot more of our students are, are self-deprecating than anything. And think how valuable that is for them to see that there's more learning going on than they're realizing that they're taking note of. That's the piece we want them to walk away with is, wow, I got a lot more out of this experience than I would have realized. Right. And and hopefully see, uh, bring that outfit to yet other classes, right? And be like, oh, uh, now now in this uh, theoretical dynamics course in physics, I've got a little bit of the outfit that I, you know, put on from Billy's course and I can, you know, see even this this topic in that light. And hopefully to their future jobs and... yeah. If they're in charge of things, maybe they can have more equitable work environments. I I just thought, you know, part of, we started this conversation in thinking about grades, and I really struggle as a test taker. And so I was thinking about some um, courses that might be more test-based, and the idea of, if that is the way your course is designed, fine. But perhaps you give more opportunities to retry the same type of problem, not the same exact problem, but the the a way to apply the knowledge um, for some flexibility. Because I was just thinking about grad school, and I I had to take uh, the GRE twice <laughs> before I hit the minimum requirement, and just feeling so down on myself about that number, and like I can do this. Mm. Um, but having the opportunity to do it several times got me there. <laughs> Different test each time, um, but I needed those those practice opportunities to, to get there and how, how valuable it was to me that I had that opportunity to do it. Yeah, there's a key to using uh, universal design in some of your makeup because that would afford for these alternative assessments and different ways of applying knowledge. And and you also have the problem of the flip side of that. What if somebody's really good at taking tests? So they actually, it's just gaming the test. It's just I know how to read the question. I can see through the matrix and just pick the right multiple choice answers. Um, There's that issue too. Yeah. So thinking about how you can assess in so many different kinds of ways beyond what you're doing. And maybe that's the challenge for you is I'm going to provide one new assessment this semester. I'm going to design a new assessment, and it's going to be a little bit different than what I've done in the past. Thank you so much for coming down and talking about I'm happy to chat with anybody at the university who wants to talk more about this. We can have a little learning group as we all fumble through some of this. Um, So, yeah, feel feel free to reach out. (laughs) And and grades won't be given at the end of the session? I don't know. Well, (laughs) yes, of course. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again for coming down. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And thank you for listening. We have an email for the podcast, and that's ttll at illinois.edu. Drop us a note about your teaching, and even leave a story to share on a future episode. We'll gladly take ratings and reviews on podcast platforms if you have feedback to share. It was a delight tackling this topic with Billy Huff, who teaches out of the Department of Gender and Women's Studies, and Kari Zarati, who teaches out of the Department of Special Education. We've linked to further readings and resources about ungrading in the description, as well as contact info for Billy and Kari, and the show. We want to hear from our listeners, so do consider emailing ttll at illinois.edu. This podcast was produced by the Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning at the University of Illinois. Episodes can be found on our website, citl.illinois.edu, and on major podcast platforms. We hope you'll find us there and join the conversation.